0: You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world.
1: That's really liberating when you lose that fear of perfection. And I really strive to do that, not be perfect in what I do. And I think this reuse is the perfect avenue for that because you get stuff that's not perfect. It's It's been chipped, it's been knocked around, it comes home dirty, it's got stains on it.
0: I sometimes wonder what we would all do if we did not buy so much of the stuff that we discard so easily. What would I spend my money on? What kinds of jobs would no longer be needed? And what would be the new kind of work that emerged? This week's guest does not waste too much time thinking about these kinds of things. Instead, she practices the art of a frugal life, sourcing her material needs from the places where the stuff the rest of us throw away ends up. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Karen Ellis about the subtle disruption of reuse and repair. Well, Karen, good to be talking with you today. Would you like to start by introducing where we actually are?
1: Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thanks for coming all the way out to Melton, the Wild West. Yeah. So you're in Central Melton today. Have you ever been to Melton?
0: I've only ever driven through Melton. Yes. Be
1: yeah. Yes, well, probably you and many others have, have done the same thing. Just driven up that highway. Yep. Off to Ballarat or wherever. That's right, yeah, to wherever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... I thought it would be really good, you asked me where do you want to do it, and I thought it would probably be really good if you came and actually visited Melton. Yeah. Because it is, I think, poorly stereotyped.
0: (laughs) I think you're probably right, There's certain ideas that come to my mind. Um, I had a friend at uni who lived in Melton, and all I can, my number one memory of that was he had to catch the V-Line train.
1: Yes, yeah. Well, wow, that's interesting you say that because I'm a big fan of V Line. Yeah. And it is the better service in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Danny drives for V Line, he's a locomotive right. driver. Yeah. yeah, so.
0: Danny's your husband. That's yeah. right,
1: Danny's my husband. And he uh, really enjoys driving for V Line. And has had that job for over 30 years. As far as a traveler goes, myself, I think it's the far better service, not because Danny's <laughs> often my chauffeur, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, because you have conductors on the trains and a much cleaner, more efficient service in my opinion. So I'm going to be really sad if it ever ends
2: yeah. out
1: here to Melton. Yeah. There's a big push to have it electrified and duplicated, uh, the line, out here. And that's fair enough. It's growing. It needs uh, to be bigger and better. But I hope V-Line continues to provide the service Mm, and not Metro.
0: Yeah, (laughs) 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 Um, You always get a seat on a V-Line train as well, is that right?
1: Well, yes, the hours I travel, but I'm retired. And I think that's the problem that is occurring during peak hour here. You're not getting those seats yeah. into the city. And it's not that long into the city. It's 35, 40 minutes in, and a lot of the metro services take that time.
2: Totally,
1: to, yeah. yeah. to get into the city. So... Uh, and, and people are standing on metro services during peak hours. So I think it's uh, probably not quite fair to say it's really, really bad compared to metro. Yeah. Mm.
0: So Melton is obviously metropolitan Melbourne. It's quite a, it's almost like a satellite suburb though, isn't it? Yes. Or that, especially it was, probably less so now, as you say, it's filling out a lot more. Can you talk a little bit about the origins of Melton then? I don't really yeah understand. How did, it, how did it become that?
1: Oh, gosh, all right. Well, I don't know if I'm an expert on that, but in the late 60s, early 70s, it was touted as this satellite suburb. And a lot of people from the UK and, and Australia, suburb, suburbs, middle ring suburbs, yeah. uh, came into Melton. To live, and it developed from that. They were working in industries around uh, the uh, middle ring suburbs. Very uh, probably working class people, and uh, that's how it's really developed. It's it was you know affordable. It was on affordable land. Yeah. Plenty of land, and uh, the south. East was already, you know, built up this far out, mm. uh, so that's how it sort of started, I guess. And uh, it's just, it's the only land left really within a reasonable distance to the CBD. So now it's being discovered. The west is being discovered, mm. and that's a good and a bad thing because we're losing our green wedge. Yeah, and not that. In summertime, it's all that green, but it's still it's those plains that you lose to urban development, suburbia, and the sprawl is very, I think, very disappointing. I'd like to see more development in the middle ring suburbs, you know, around shopping centres and train lines, and going up uh, in those areas, not just sprawling out endlessly yeah and it really is affecting this semi-rural way of life that we have had out here in melton
0: mm. yeah talk a little bit about that how long have you been here and why did you choose to live here
1: we've been here for ooh, i'm just trying to think now 10 years so danny and i are in a second marriage and we've been all over the place we've lived all over the place yeah Uh, myself more than Danny and I've lived in inner city I've lived in middle ring and I've lived in you know the fringe suburbs and we came here well I came here first this was my family home and uh, Danny was over in Sunbury when I met Danny and we had the choice to either be in Sunbury or be in Melton and we decided that we would come here because it was closer to the Melton Southern Cross train line, yep. and we decided to live live here in Melton. I was also working here locally, and so I was in this home for for work purposes really. Okay. And it's been it's been good. It's been um, we live in a good street with good neighbours. Yep. And Danny moving over from Sunbury to here, he finds this um, area better actually than Sunbury. Sunbury is very much like Melton, but it hasn't developed as well around the shopping areas and it's not planned as well. Uh, Centrally it's not planned as well. It's a real bottleneck centrally. And I think the reason being is that Sunbury has a lovely strip shopping center and they wanted to keep that feel unfortunately with the growth it's uh, had an effect where it's just too clustered now around this small strip shopping center right. and it's just too busy and the streets are too small etc t- to take to take the growth to cater for the growth so Melton I do believe has done a far better job yeah. In the development. Here centrally, I'm not a great rap for what's going on in the outer suburbs, yeah. uh, the, the outer suburbs of Melton. Yeah. Uh, and houses so very, very close together and yeah. uh, roads not as wide as this road here.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's, um, yeah, that could be done better just on and on and on, the sprawl.
0: Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah.
1: And that's why we probably won't stay here in retirement right. we're reti- I'm retired. Danny's retiring next year around september he's his He works part time now, and so he's transitioning to retirement and when he finishes, we will look at someplace else i think yeah, yeah
0: what will be the, the things that you look for in some place else?
1: <laughs> we will go beach, yeah. yes, and possibly Bass Coast. We're sort of thinking that's where we'll head. Not the Torquay way, we'll probably head Bass Coast because again, it's quieter. We, we really are very quiet, peaceful, simple living type people, and that area hasn't been overdeveloped yet. So we'll head down that way. And it's a bit more rugged yeah. rather than you know, sort of shoreline beachy. Yeah, It's more rugged coast. Yeah. We like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so we'll find a cosy haven somewhere and nice and quiet. And yeah. that's probably where we'll be. But we are thinking and it'd be nice to keep this for a little while, this house for a little while, to have it as a sort of a pit stop rather than stay with family when we visit we could Mm. you know stop here yeah and and possibly because of what we do which i know we'll get into but what we do it'd be nice to have this as a bit of a community hub Mm. and have some groups here perhaps but not controlled by organizations yeah just inviting people in through even bright you know the meeting yeah. facility and saying well we're going to have a group here on repair or mending or whatever yeah. and invite people here
2: yeah
1: at the moment we don't do that because we're living here and it's not a big home so we'd and with Danny working shift work we'd feel a bit uncomfortable with that at the moment okay. but maybe in time we could, keep it for a while and do something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, let's perhaps start to talk a little bit about what you do, but before we do, we have got one question. We we are in what you described as your favorite room in the house, that's where we're sitting right now. What do you call this room?
1: Well, this was the main bedroom. Yeah. (laughs) And we've uh, shifted ourselves out the back to the third bedroom. And this is my sewing studio. Craft studio, but more sewing. And although I don't do a lot of sewing and I don't do a lot of upcycling of garments these days because I've got so much that I do a lot of mending now, a lot of repairing. And uh, this is a favourite room because it's just got all my sewing machines and my overlocker and my bits and bobs. It's a uh, she. She shed inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and some childhood bits and pieces. It's a mess. <laughs> it's, it's
0: certainly not a mess.
1: Oh, good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's got a really nice feel about it as well
1: in this oh. room. I don't know
0: why, but, yeah, it just feels very relaxed in here. Maybe the sun's coming in and maybe it's the fabric around the place as well. But Yes. Um, I think we'll have to have a photo in this room. Oh,
1: yeah. uh, yes, I'd, I'd like that. Uh, yeah, it does. It has it has a, a homely sort of feel, and uh, these days you, it's very rare to sort of probably go into a home with this type of room. Mm. Um, well, it's rare for me <laughs> to go into a home with this type of room. Yeah, people aren't doing a lot of sewing and crafting at home out yeah. of home, men might have their sheds. And, and there's women of course, that have their special places at home, but not in a lot of modern homes, I don't think. So it is special to do this. And I like the idea of taking a bedroom and turning it into a studio. Mm. I like that idea. That's I like that too. quite subtly disruptive, isn't it? It is, Yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: Now I'm just looking up on the wall there, and you've got a blackboard with some chalk on it saying, "Rude." That's it. As an acronym, so reuse, unloved, discarded, excess.
1: That's it. Yes. So that's what Danny and I call ourselves, rude, and that's not naughty rude. <laughs> that's uh, an acronym, as you said, for reuse and, and repair repairs in there too yeah. but uh, reuse unloved discarded excess and that's what we do as a couple i suppose is our interest and our hobby we don't sell a lot of people think oh you're reusing this stuff and upcycling it and revamping it so you must be selling well we don't um, we're not interested in that because then the pressure is on, isn't it, Uh, to make and sell and you'd feel like you were back at work. (laughs) So we decided that we would volunteer our time, online mostly, sometimes in the community, to promote and showcase reusing and repairing of things and how we go about that is, we share what we do, basically, on a daily basis. It, it never ends here. We're just that way inclined. We're always pottering around fixing something or doing something. And it's not that everything, I suppose, in our household breaks, so we, have, we care for our things. Yeah. But it's amazing what you do need to do to care for your things and maintain your things. And also, people know us now, so they bring us things
2: Yeah, right. and say,
1: oh, can you have a look at this or whatever? And yeah. we'll gladly, if we feel we can, help them. So it's, uh, it's really great. I love Facebook and social media. Facebook is a wonderful medium to be able to share what we do without people coming to our home or or whatever so i take videos very amateur videos of what i might do or photographs and danny too he's often roped into what are you fixing we better get this on video yeah yeah so that's our main avenue and we do like to go out into the community if we can so danny is a linotype mechanic, which a lot of people won't know what a linotype no, mechanic it was in the old days of printing. So the right. big printing sort of presses, hot metal printing presses, they're huge machines. He trained for four years to learn how to fix and maintain those in the newspaper industry. So he's got marvelous skills, and these marvelous mechanical skills and these skills can be used in the old heritage printing museums so we'll go as a couple out to say a printing museum if they've got a machine that needs fixing or tinkering with and repairing or whatever and uh, I'll go along and video that I feel that's really important to get that history down but also to show that you can repair things and that we're doing it as a couple and keep these wonderful machines out of landfill. So that's what we'll do yeah. in the community.
0: Yeah. It is um, It is very disruptive what you're doing. Um, and I'm sure you know that. Um, but there's certainly not a culture and ethos of repairing things uh, that's mainstream right now. It,
1: absolutely you hit it right there definitely repair these days is such a radical act mm. it's so like anti consumerism and a lot of us have lost the skills so it is quite disruptive i agree with you and yeah what more can i say where uh we're radical and seniors and we're radical I I really like that (laughs) very disruptive yeah
0: yeah like even like for example I've got a couple of kids and my son was wearing some relatively new tracksuit pants and he found a hole in them and he's like I don't want to wear those anymore and this is a four-year-old and it really got me thinking like like why does he automatically think that he can't wear them anymore you know Mm. what what has, what have I imparted to him? What has you know, this context that he lives in imparted into him that he no longer thinks that they're, you know, a little hole that can be repaired with a patch or something like that, no longer a valid item of clothing. Yes,
1: yeah. yes, it is fascinating, and everyone sort of thinks a bit differently. You can sort of understand maybe a four-year-old, but <laughs> but you know, you'll have twenty-year-olds uh, wanting to buy them. The jeans with holes in them big yeah. holes in yeah. them so it's very interesting isn't it that difference uh, why some may think like that and others think the other way and that's what makes us all different I guess but now with uh, with a sort of style and fashion and all of this changing and probably a bit of a mend make do ethos coming back. There are people doing this, believe it or not, what Danny and I are doing, but we're all doing it differently. But it is starting to come back because people are getting tired of this throwaway society. There are ways of perhaps encouraging the four-year-old to wear these pants, but you may have to do the patch yeah. Uh, or you may have to show the photo of the twenty-year-olds in the trendy jeans <laughs> with the yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so there may be a way around it. Yeah, uh, I just uh, darned some holes on on the machine. Actually, machine darned some holes in my very worn synthetic tracky decks that I wear around here when I'm working in the garden or doing the housework. Uh, But I wear them with pride. I've got, they're grey and I've got pink darning on one leg and red darning (laughs) on another leg and it's quite a statement, a political sort of economic statement that we're making. So maybe that's subtly disruptive too. Danny thinks it looks like I've got chewy gum stuck on (laughs) her. the knees of these pants, but uh, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's There's ways around it, I think.
0: When did this start for you guys?
1: We've done it all our lives. Both of us have been like this all our lives. Uh, so Danny grew up with a father that was quite handy in his own way, and they would tinker out with cars in the garage so I guess that gave Danny some sense of the mechanical and how to give things a go and myself I would just be drawn to my father in the shed not that he had a lot of time to be in the shed but I would be drawn to him fixing the bikes or building something not that he ever built a lot you know but just pottering around in the shed. And I guess Danny went on to keep continuing working with his with his hands in his trade, the apprenticeship he did, and then he went on to work in the Melbourne Underground um, as an electrician's uh, sort of assistant or TA, and so he learnt all about electrics. Um, so he's very good there. He's not a A great electrician, but he's quite talented electrically. Um, and with me, I totally left sort of the hand thing behind. I did a bit at school, you know, home echo and sewing yeah. at school when they had that in schools. But I went on to do, you know, prof- sort of like the professions and more, you know the thinking with my head. <laughs> and uh, that became, all encompassing you will learn earning a living you're out working and you get home you didn't want to sew or anything like that Mm. but in the 80s I came back to it um, just to save money I think sewing for the children and I did a little bit of that sewing more for myself going I, I taught myself to sew My mother had been a sewer, but she hadn't taught me anything. She was too busy, I guess, sewing for us kids. She never said, sit down, I'll teach you. But I think by osmosis, Mm. you picked up things. And maybe watching her or whatever, I felt comfortable around a sewing machine. It wasn't daunting, whereas a lot of women that haven't sewed, they think, oh, this machine, you know, it'll run away with me. There was none of that. So to teach myself how to cut out, dress and sew so it was was doable, and I just improved as I went along. But then I discovered opportunity shops, and why was I sewing all of this from scratch when I could buy some clothes from the opportunity shop, really good clothes made of natural fibers in great condition for a few dollars, and maybe change them up a bit so nothing you didn't need to do anything too drastic to them you might um shorten the hem Hmm. or take off the sleeves that you know make pants into shorts or whatever so i started doing that and you realize then my goodness you know the fabric's already there all the hard work's been done so why would i be slaving on a machine making something from scratch so that's how it started for me. And then it just sort of goes on where you become even more confident to maybe design a little bit yourself mm. from from that piece rather than doing very basic stuff, you start to get a bit more sort of design orientated and want to change things around like I'm just trying to think what I might want to do, you know make um, make jeans into a skirt. So it's not just shortening. The hem of the jeans to make shorts. You're actually making yeah. yeah something different yeah cool and that's what upcycling is. So yeah, that's how it developed for me. And uh, I was so inspired by that. Just creatively, it um, it spoke to me doing that sort of thing. And I felt really quite radical and disruptive and um, yeah, good feeling. Yeah, yeah, a, a, a sort of what we call a beat the man feeling too. You know, you could do your own design from something. Um, you didn't. You weren't spending a lot of money in in shops. You were. you, you were doing something that somebody would say, "Wow, you know, I really love that." Well, where did you get that? Well, sorry, it's a one-off. <laughs> <laughs> I redesigned it. Yeah. I redesigned it. Um, the designer originally was, and I've redesigned it all. Yeah. yeah. So that's quite disruptive. It's great. It is. Good fun. Yeah. Mm, fun. <laughs> yeah. Mm.
0: So the stuff that you. The stuff that you're doing now, is it is it mainly around clothing and that kind of thing? And are you going to opportunity shops or have you expanded beyond that?
1: Yes, well, we've expanded and we've gone uh, down a rung. <laughs> <laughs> down a rung to the tip shops. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was wonderful to find tip shops. And that was even again quite radical to be going to tip shops, which is virtually the point of landfill so that's where charity shops sometimes send their stuff you know when it's like not sold it's no good for anyone right.
0: um, so talk about a tip shop yeah. so a tip being yeah a place for landfill a dump a rubbish dump yes
1: yeah, yeah. well in Australia now uh, we're trying to keep stuff up out of landfill and a lot of local councils are setting up shops at transfer stations. The tip might be there, but sort of away from view. But the transfer station is where stuff goes to be sorted before it goes into landfill. So it could either be at landfill or it can be separate to landfill. In Melton it's separate to landfill. But landfill's just down the road. Yeah. Um, So all the rubbish... um, A lot of the rubbish goes to um, the transfer station and they decided like years ago here in Mountain, six years ago or whatever, to build a shed and rather than send stuff down into sort of this area where it's sort of sorted to go, wherever it's sorted to go, (laughs) um, to landfill mostly, and to recyclers, they decided, well, they could start making money or having a bit of an enterprise by having a big shared shop. So uh, what happens is people drive up in their trailers and anything that they think is sellable or recyclable or whatever goes into the shed, the shop. And then they head on down to dump whatever is not. But sometimes what they dump is good too. and. Right. They'll bring it back up. <laughs> yeah. um, so it is people's perceptions, isn't it, of what's you know recyclable, and so it's great that uh, lots of things are coming now to tip shops. People are knowing about them and dropping off. And look, sometimes these things are as good, if not better, than what you will get at charity shops. Um, so it's interesting what people throw away, uh, but on a whole these tip shops aren't as well organized as, uh, although they're getting up watching what's happened over six years, they are getting a bit more like the op shop because people are realizing value in stuff and starting to sort and starting to um, have social enterprise come in and manage these tip shops. So, you know, we really liked it back six years ago when it was just junky, just like we liked the op shops when it was junky, and we could have a real good rummage and scavenge. Unfortunately, o- opportunity shops have gone the way of retail, basically. And you go in now, and it's like retail stores, and everything's sorted and clean, and, not, and they only accept pretty much the best now, and a lot of it uh, goes off overseas, or wherever, I don't know, but a lot of it is uh, textiles go off overseas. So when that sort of stopped with op shops and it became very like we were shopping, we don't like shopping. Danny and I don't like shopping. So we found the tip shop and it was, oh, you know, great. Dirty rummage, have a rummage and you might find that gem. And uh but now we've noticed it's it's still like that sort of, but it's becoming more organised and higher priced and that's the way it goes. But we've had our fun for six years. We yeah. got in before the trend. Yeah. <laughs> we, we really like that. Yeah, so we've got all that we'll ever really need. And um, what's great here in Melton is that they do accept textiles. Some tip, sh- tip shops don't, uh, which is such a shame because such a lot of textiles go into landfill. It's quite disturbing. A lot of it goes overseas, but there is so much fast fashion. There's so many, it's just, it's just phenomenal. And to think that some of the tip shops aren't taking the textiles, I don't know where they're going, I would say maybe into landfill. That really is um, upsetting for someone like me who really values the textiles. Certainly natural fibre textiles, you know, (laughs) And it's um, two-thirds of everything now in clothing is synthetic. Okay. So you, it's really hard to find natural fibre textiles. So when you do, you know, I really value, value them, but the synthetics are, um, are also, I think, still needing to be valued if they're reasonable. Because there's been a little girl in China or Bangladesh or India that's made that garment, and when I look at it, I think if it's reasonable, I can wear it or do something with it. I'll try and do that mm. because of that very reason. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It mightn't be the greatest material. It, it is synthetic, made of petroleum or whatever. But um, and I try and keep it out of landfill too because synthetics, being just well um, um, dumped into landfill, have you know they just don't degrade down yeah. for hundreds of years or whatever
0: so yeah, yeah. so you said yeah you know, over the past six years you've been spending a lot of time at the tip shops and do you still go there because you, you indicated that you probably got enough stuff now are you still going down there to not a lot yeah. no
1: it was really great to get in before everybody else and the traders the traders are there now they right. they discovered it yeah um so uh they're into uh, staying there. Some of them camp out. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's not our scene. Uh, we, we just do it for us and like to have a bit of fun and like to promote it on, yeah. on social media. Oh, look, this is one thing we've made, but we don't like to be fighting for stuff. What know. are the
0: traders? What do you mean by that?
1: The traders are uh, eBayers. Okay. eBayers okay. or marketers. Yeah. Uh, they'll hang out in, in the tip shop waiting for stuff to come into the shop, people dropping off, waiting for stuff to come into the, the tip shop. and. Uh, They'll walk around for hours, you know, just waiting for something to be placed down and, and uh, grab it. And yeah. uh, they've got businesses, you know, that's how how they survive. They make money from it. It's better than going into landfill totally. or, you know, being crushed uh, at the transfer station or whatever, a desk being crushed down um, yeah. at the transfer t- station. So um, there's, uh, there's room for that, but uh, we... Just do it for us, and we don't go down there much now. When we initially started, we basically furnished you know this whole house with stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and um, it was fun to. And we bought in stuff too to share on social media, so we mightn't have really wanted it, but we needed props mm. to to showcase, and um, some of it ended up back down there. Revamped, <laughs> or or at the op shop revamped, um, but most of it has most of the things you see here are, have come from from there, and the the house the whole house basically. And what we did with stuff is we might have might have showcased it or used it here and moved on pieces. As I said, you know, moved on pieces that we had or whatever, yeah. and that's been fun. That's been fun to explore that uh, to explore we've developed in that and how how we think of consumerism and uh, um, the waste issue um, as well so sorry, your question. <laughs> I might have got off track, but um, no we don't uh, we don't go down there well probably once a fortnight now, and we're there for twenty minutes yeah. And we have a quick look around. Yes, I think you asked about my interest. My interest is, is textiles. And Danny will look for, he, you know, he likes computers. He likes electrical, you know, tools, guy sort of stuff. Yeah. But he still looks for the house. He might sort of look and say, oh, this looks all right. Yeah. The other day, for example, he came over and said, oh, there's a tin over there. I said, Oh, what sort of tin? I thought he meant a biscuit tin. And it was a trunk. Um, And he said, Well, it's a bit battered. And came and had a look at it. And it was battered. And um, I said, Oh, it looks a bit cheap and nasty from the reject shop. And he says, Oh, it's only $5. I said, Oh, I suppose you could use it for storage. Um, We bought it home. We said to our social, on our Uh, Rude Record, which is our um, Facebook page on Rude Record. We posted up and said, oh, you know, this is what we found. And I did a video about how Danny did some panel beating on it to bash it out and fix it. And somebody popped up and says, oh, that's an antique. Oh, wow. (laughs) An old and old thing, you know, sort of 1800s, early 1900s trunk. And that's very rare. Yeah. It's very rare to find w because we're not marketers or rebayers or antique dealers, we have no idea really. And we didn't and we were quite surprised, um, that even the antique dealer down at the tip didn't <laughs> yeah, didn't pick that yeah, one up. Yeah. yeah, so there you go.
0: You've got some really fascinating pieces even in this room. Do you, so you said you don't like shopping. Do you go shopping at all?
1: Not a lot. No, no. And that's quite radical, isn't it? And uh, disruptive not to be out shopping and supporting the economy.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, No, we don't. Uh, We don't live on a homestead here, although we could. We've thought about it. So we do have to go grocery shopping. Yeah. And uh, that's okay. We're quickly in and out. We don't like, us. well, Danny likes it probably more than me. He's a bit more into that. He can get the specials. He likes doing that. So, yeah, he'll often go off. I, I just don't like it. Um, so grocery shopping, yes. Um, underwear, yes. Um, but anything else, I can't really think of, you know, maybe into an op shop. But that's not what we're sort of probably talking about now. Mm. Um, everything we get is from tip shops, basically. So even you know you talk about Harvey Norman or appliances, that type of uh, thing. You know, it's all all from the tip shop, yeah. and oftentimes it's brought home and it's working. It's yeah. fine people have just upgraded, upgraded yeah. if it's not working Danny has the skills to be able to fix most of anything electrical mm. um, so shopping for clothes definitely not there's just so much already out there there is absolutely in our you know household in no need to to do that and really really you know natural fiber stuff yeah um, so this winter I'm you know wearing wool you know this 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 here was from the actual i've I've got on a top here uh pure wool glassen's top and that was on the floor of the tip shop literally and and it was going to be thrown in the bin because it was a bit dirty and this has been amazing top it's yeah. so warm so light so so warm and all it needed was to be brought home, placed in the freezer for twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Kill all the bacteria. Kill yeah. all the bacteria and, and any moth eggs because they like okay. wool, right? So twenty four hours or longer, and uh, and then you just wash appropriately. Yeah. And uh, it's um it's that those sort of things. And why would I go in and buy this at Glassons? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: There's we've talked about. Doesn't I mean there's some obvious benefits to what you're doing. Uh, in terms of keeping things out of landfill, um, reusing things that have had people's effort and labour put into them. Um, Economic for yourself as well, like you're not spending as much money on on things. How, what about, this might be hard to ascertain, but in terms of your own well-being and happiness and emotional state, do you find or do you think that because of the way you're living it's it's having a positive impact on who you are and how you are?
1: Yes, yes, that's a really good question. And the economical one too, I'd like to come back to sure. if we've yeah. got time. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, uh, of course, of course it is. Uh, you wouldn't be on Facebook as much as I'm on Facebook sharing this if you didn't love it. And this is volu- It's voluntary. And it's not just checking into Facebook an hour each day. I'm on Facebook sharing this, and on WordPress once a week, uh, at Rude Record, sharing all about this, writing about this, um, videoing this, and it makes me, I'm talking me, Danny's not here, but it makes me really, really, I don't know, like I found home. Because as a child, that's where I was happiest. And you know, when they say to you, you know, if you're you're not sure where you're at, sort of as an adult, go back to childhood and think about where you were most happiest. And yeah. that's often the place you need to be. Yeah. And so I went back to the time when I was in the shed with Dad, um, and love really, really in the flow, or taking the briquettes out of the briquette shed um, at home as a kid, and making a cubby, and furnishing the cubby with whatever, whatever was around, and that's when I was the happiest. Um, I'm just trying to think if there were any other times. Cooking at school, Home Echo, I used to really, really feel you know, it was, it was the place for me, whereas I was doing maths and (laughs) science, Um, because that's sort of what I was sort of supposed to do, you know, and I was a good student or whatever. So, um, you know, without really even thinking about that as a kid, you just, you know, did what you thought you had to to get a good job or whatever. But going back to childhood I think is a really good way to work this out and um, being happy around home and around seeing my mother around the sewing machine, creating with her hands and fabric and dress-ups and uh, performing, um, having concerts outside with the, the school kids, yeah. that the local uh, neighbourhood kids, sorry. Um, our house would be the house where you'd come, and we'd have the you know little old record player with the 45s or the 78s, and we'd do concerts and get dressed up. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, I guess that comes into my video and how I hammered up a little bit on video, yeah. And that's where I'm happiest with Danny. There is no doubt he's happiest doing you know, the mechanical type, uh, work. not, not working on cars. He, he can, and, and he does. Um, he keeps my old car going. Uh, but um, uh, pottering around, fixing things computer-wise and, and electrical and that smaller, I suppose, things than getting really greasy under a car because he's getting older too, yeah. um, he's always had that. And it's really good in our second marriage because I'm that way inclined and I really, really support him in his endeavours to want to fix stuff rather than buy stuff. I'll buy the wife a new brand spanking new um, washing machine. Well, that doesn't appeal to me. You know, whereas many wives say, Yes, I want a new one, I want a new one. Um, That's not what I want. I want the Maytag that we got off The Verge and for Danny to fix it and then that means something to me. I'm glad we haven't gone shopping and that makes him feel great that, gosh, she's happy. She's really happy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so does that explain the joy? The joy of uh, what we do and, yes, together we're very happy doing that. Together, and it'll be great when Denny's retired full time next year. We'll even sort of do more of that somehow. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, not sure in what what capacity, but yeah, we'll be doing we'll be doing this forever. But we don't want more stuff from the tip mm. shop.
0: So you're not necessarily really doing it just for yourself now in your own uh, household and your own living circumstances. Why are you doing it? Like, what keeps you doing it?
1: Well, you mentioned the economics um, of it. And you save a fortune. I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? You can sit here and you'd be thinking, wow, how much can you save? You know, you save, I would hate to think, hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this, not buying stuff. you know we're not great travellers, so that comes into it as well. We're not spending money travelling. We're not spending money out at restaurants. So it's a whole lifestyle thing. It's not just reuse and repair. Mm. Uh, we we prefer to eat at home, um, and um, we uh, don't travel a lot. We're not we we're homebodies, and so there's savings there. We we drive cars that aren't brand new. Um, so we save a lot of money there. Danny can fix the cars. Um, so that's that. We don't buy clothes, as as we're speaking about. And ugh, even though fast fashion is cheap, if you want good clothes, you're paying a lot more for it. So we're not doing that. We're not contributing much to the economy at all. But we're very rare. Uh, you know, we really are. There's a lot of people that are assisting with the economy, so we don't feel guilty <laughs> about not contributing to the economy. Um, so. That um, that saves so so much money, which we do spend money on other things, Uh, more on services perhaps. You know, our health, health services, dentists, you know, medical, um, insurance, car insurance, that sort of thing. Um, So you can save so so much money at whatever stage you're at, and I think that's what we. We don't want to um, sort of tell people this is the best way or this is the only way or we're doing it better, that that's not our intention. It's more to, um, to showcase what we've done and if there's any bit that speaks to you about how you can reduce your waste, or how you can save money, or how you can save the planet, or all three, that's great. If there's one little bit in in what we're sharing, that's, that's wonderful for us. It's wonderful to perhaps think someone out there may be inspired, and we get a little bit of feedback on that from Facebook. A lot of people haven't got a lot of time. They're not on Facebook like we are, sharing all this. But when those gems come in, those wonderful comments from people that, gee, I'm going to try that, or I did try that, or here's a picture, or we could learn something from you, or we did learn something from you, or um, whatever. Yeah. They mean a lot to us. And they're few and far between, but they keep us going. Even on the blog, uh, few and far between comments, and I write it religiously every week, but that's okay. You know, you'll get a thanks or brilliant or you know, even just one comment, it's nice. If you don't get any comments, that's okay too. Um, yeah, you think, hopefully somebody's reading it and yeah. learning something. Yeah. I, I, I like that, I like that bigger picture you know not that um not necessarily the one on one converting someone to our way. I don't think a lot of people could live like this. I really don't. Mm. um it's not scabby. We can do really whatever we want, and we can buy whatever whatever we want, really within reason. Um, not an airplane <laughs> um, but um it's um, yeah. It's just really important for us to share in case there are people out there wondering how you might possibly be a bit more frugal. Yeah. Frugal's the word rather than cheap. Yeah. Mm.
0: I think, um, yeah, I, uh, some of. This, there's obviously barriers in people's minds to even making a step in this kind of direction. And some of it is. We'll never taught the skills, or we haven't learnt the skills of repair and reuse. Um, I guess we haven't needed to have lived in a a place of um, abundance and excess in many ways. Um, I mean, that's probably one of them. Do you wanna talk to that first? Like is part of what you're doing actually showing people how you do it so it's easy for them to then do this kind of thing as well? Yes, yes,
1: and we do understand that. And sometimes we're limited. Danny and myself are limited in what we can do. We don't know everything about repair. Yeah. Um, so, uh, But YouTube is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and, and reaching out to friends and, and maybe bartering or whatever. Not that we do a lot of that, but there are options like that that you can do. You mightn't be able to do it, but somebody out there will. And you may be able to barter your skills, for example. But you're absolutely right, the skills are disappearing and that is part of why we're doing what we're doing but it's difficult isn't it when you're um, online and and you're trying to show people or you've made a video or whatever and and they don't even know how to use a sewing machine but you're showing how to do some machine darning but they've never switched on their sewing machine and really you probably then you know need to be with them one on one, or they need to be in a course or, or whatever. Um, but it's doable in some way or other, it really is. And there is a repair movement, there's all sorts of repair movements now where people are coming together to learn about repair, to bring their things in and and get them repaired and be shown how to um, to repair. Melton South here is trying to get up something like that and Danny and I are involved in discussions there about a community hub where people can come and bring their kettle or their toaster and people like Danny and I or their their um, textile, you know, hole in their textiles or whatever, people like Danny and I are there as fixers, menders and show them how to do it. And And they've got to actually sit and, and you know, the model is that they sit and they learn. You show them. Um, and that movement is growing worldwide in various Form, forms. Yeah. Danny and I would like to probably do that out of this house um, and people could come whether one-on-one or you know, have a group of people um, as I spoke of earlier yeah. uh, in this interview and at the moment what we're doing though is uh, I do make some not real how-to videos because there's so many how-to videos on YouTube you can just go in. D- Danny learns a lot of electrical, advanced electrical stuff that he does from YouTube. Yeah. He has a, has a special guru guy that he goes to on YouTube. Um, he, he, he was um, fixing our um, refrigerator that had been given to us second hand. Something was wrong with it. And he went on to his guru guy and found out that it was a thermostat or a timer or something like that and um, how to actually go about finding it and tweaking it and fixing it or whatever he did, I don't know. Um, so there's, there's that and, and, yeah, as I said, we don't, um, we don't really see the need to do the how-tos, more a brush over, and then there's so many good people out there go and watch mm. step by step on YouTube or find someone in a class. But because we're more beat the man type, we don't pay for anything. <laughs> we rarely go to classes. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, we we prefer to, uh, to do it ourselves if we can. Yeah. Learn it ourselves. Yeah. And, and that's quite doable. But you do need the time, and so many people are so busy. So many young people are so busy. It's finding that time. And if you have the passion, for whatever reason, planet, you know, profit, what it, you, you will, you'll find the time. But if you're not that way inclined, yeah you know, I don't think you'd do it. I think there's
0: also something that we haven't really talked about is just just making something with your hands is amazing. Um, I guess so many jobs, obviously there's, there's still a lot of trade professions out there, but a lot of jobs are office bound keyboard bound, screen bound, where, yeah, we're busy doing that kind of thing though in meetings or, or, you know, not really getting our hands dirty or, um, tinkering with things. And there's, I don't know, I even find playing with Lego such a, uh, 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 just a joyous, liberating experience. And I think there is something in just in, just in, Uh, tweaking and dabbling and playing. Yes.
1: Yes. I think that's innate. I think that's innate in all of us. And uh, I don't know the research related to it. I haven't read a lot about it but they say it's innate. And we do want to use our hands, not just our minds. And it can have such a, a mental, so many mental health benefits as well. Um, when you get in the flow, Mm. yeah, that flow, you, and time disappears and you're playing with Lego or building with Lego or whatever it is that, um, you know, you're engrossed in and the time just goes and I could be in this room and the time just goes and Danny's calling out, it's time for tea. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sort of like, I haven't even heard him. And I get that quite a bit on the computer, too. I get in yeah. in flow on the computer. A lot of people perhaps don't. It's oh, sitting at the desk and in front of a screen and all of that. But even as a young student, I could sit for hours, you know, five hours straight. Yeah. It, it wouldn't worry me and I'd just be totally, totally in the flow and time would disappear. Um, so that's interesting in itself but I think it's that creative outlook I use the computer for it's not the computer I get very tired sitting there it's more oh I'm, I'm editing a video or yeah. I'm adding music to a video or you know somebody's written inspiring comment and I have to answer back and yeah. you know, so you're creating a writing piece and or doing the blog and creating a writing piece um, so you're still uh, yeah, I don't know if you're using your hands there necessarily, um, but I, it's that flow thing on computer. But yes, um, whatever it is doing with your hands, time can just disappear. And I think yeah. it'd be nice that we all had something that we could go to in our busy lives. And they say just even if it's 10 minutes a day. I've, I've been yeah. reading uh, the last couple of days on a sewing blog even if you can do something for 10 minutes a day with your hands, it can prove effective. Yeah. So whatever that is, and on a sewing group, I think it was a woman. She said, oh, "I'm cutting up bits of fabric to make a quilt or whatever." And here's, and she was, she's been showcasing it. Here's the fabric I've cut up. Here's the fabric I've cut up. The next day 10 minutes here's the next lot of fabric i've cut up for 10 minutes now here's the quilt you know um that i'm starting to make so i think you can get things done too even just with 10 minutes yeah and perhaps limiting computer time uh limiting tv time in front of the tv uh limiting uh that sort of time not computer time like perhaps how i use it but just you know Surfing the net, maybe <laughs> for yeah. no reason, no creative reason at all, or whatever. Um, maybe just limiting that
2: yeah.
1: uh, can give you time to create something. And make,
2: yeah, make, yeah.
1: yeah, and and losing that fear of perfection. Mm. Yeah, I just thought of that. That's really liberating when you it lose is. that fear of perfection, and I really strive to do that, not be perfect in what I do. And I think this reuse <laughs> is the perfect avenue for that because you get stuff that's not perfect. Yeah. it's It's been chipped, it's been knocked around, it comes home dirty, it's got stains on it, whatever. And that's probably, you know, you ask sort of what this has all been about too. You know, I was an a grade student. <laughs> <laughs> many years ago. So to lose that perfection, that need to want to be perfect, has been incredibly liberating doing all of this. It's yeah. taught me a lot in relation to letting go and being rude. And rude's other mean, you know, dictionary meaning is roughly done, lacking in subtlety. And that really speaks to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because isn't it nice not to have to sort of be perfect? Oh,
0: it, <laughs> it is liberating. I'm so with you there. And for me, that, you know, that, that, mess, that need to be perfect, it's almost like I felt like I had to get it right in my head before I got it right in the real world. Whereas now I find that just doing it rudely or roughly in the real world helps me get it right it's part of the process you know it's part okay I've just got to do it and I learn so much from doing it however badly it is that first one almost just
1: has to be got out of the way yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely and until you realize that I, you know I was like that it had to be perfect in my head and then has to come out perfect on paper or has to be perfectly written or you the blog has to be perfectly written people write about that you know like that um, writer's um, block stuff you know, I have to write it perfectly, it can't be posted until it's done perfectly mm. and it's really great to just press publish <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: not check it over a hundred times just press publish and that's it, mm. you know that's enough, I've I've given enough <laughs> um, so yeah, to let that go to um, yeah, to yeah to just accept it, to go with the flow. Um, I was going to say something else in relation to that. I've it just slipped my mind. Um, wonderful, uh, wonderful feeling to let it go, isn't it?
0: It is. A Couple of questions as we start to wrap up. Uh, the first one's about an area outside of living frugally, I suppose, or living in this way or outside of what you're doing now, that you daydream about disrupting one day. Uh, Another thing that you'd like to subtly disrupt, if you like. Is there anything else that you daydream about or think about?
1: Mm. That's very interesting. Outside of frugal, subtly, disrupt. Mm. Gosh, I think we're doing subtle disruption across so many areas already, um, as I've probably yeah. alluded to. Um, so is there something that is still to be, uh, to be done by us? I guess dreaming, I would really like to you know, run for council. Um and I've spoken about that. Yeah. Um however I have a concern about that. Um in recent times there's been quite a bit of um from what I can gather censoring of what counsellors can and can't say and um and codes of conduct around that. Mm. Um, so it's uh, sort of the business of council and then you get the councils representing the people and I'm not so convinced it's working as well as it should I did write a submission to the state government um, when they were asking for submissions because they're amending the local government act currently and I was quite um, Oh, passionate about that. I've done a couple of these submissions. I've done assisted dying as well. Um, I'm very passionate about that. So, yeah, perhaps uh, the running for council would be sort of like a dream, but the dream's a bit of a nightmare, I think, because, uh, you know, I sort of wake up and think, no, that's not a really good idea because how can you disrupt? If you're being controlled a little bit, mm. and I suspect a lot of the councillors are, yep. uh, they may disagree. Uh, I'm not a counsellor. I don't know. I'm not there. Um, and, and different councils would do it different ways, and different counsellors would do it different ways. But I just have that general feeling that I would be stymied, um, and I wouldn't get much through that way. You know, I'd be the odd man out. And and so I can probably best do it via social media, yeah. um, and I do do that uh, via social media, but in a very subtle way. And I try and be um, well intentioned. I try and be well informed. I try not to be too um, disruptive or too rebellious or too, you know. I try and be a little bit politically correct or, you know, not to incite and be too divisive. Um, But I still like to have my say, and I hope that comes across reasonably well. And the assisted dying is certainly something, uh, you know... uh, I dream about having choice over what I do mm. when uh, my time comes, if it comes, um, that I want choice around that. And I think it's been found that that choice, just having that choice, is so empowering that people are happy to go on to be palliatively cared for and all of that rather than euthanized. Um, but it's having that peace of mind that it's there, that you can go if, if you need to go, if it's just all too much. Okay. Um, so that's really important to me as well. So they're totally away from living frugally.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great,
0: thanks for sharing those.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're welcome.
0: The last question is about, I guess, your own journey and something small or subtle that you, you've you done that started you on that journey or along the way or that you still do now that sustains you on this journey as well it might be interesting for other people to hear about and perhaps apply to their
1: own lives as well That sustains me in what respect can just
0: in can- um, I guess the, the questions about you know what's a what's a small thing that you've changed in your life that's propelled you to where you are today, like a small thing that I guess is maybe has had a big impact on your life. Yes, yeah.
1: yes. No, thank you for explaining that further. Definitely, definitely Danny. Um, that's That's been, or well, he's been that, he's been my driver. Absolutely. And it's quite ironic really because Danny is such a, a gentle, leveled, even, reliable person. And he has been the one really giving me the impetus to not be perfect, to step up and speak out. He even supports that. So, for example, when I'm online and I may be formulating some sort of comment against something, I don't know, somebody, you know, legislation or something that I have to have my say on, yeah. Danny will be supporting that and he will be saying, You have every right to be peeved. <laughs> you have every right to have your say. This is what I think. Uh, he'll come in because he's fairly well read. Uh, meaning, um, not book read, but um, news, general knowledge read, and um, and so he has an opinion on a lot of that. He will listen, but at the end of the day, he says, "Go for it," and I've never ever had that before from anybody. In fact, if anything, I've had the opposite be quiet, sometimes shut up. (laughs) Um, You need to be seen and not heard as we go back to childhood. And it's wonderfully, being with Danny has been incredibly, incredibly liberating to be able to uh, speak up. And it has expanded my knowledge a lot in those, um, in, in politics probably. So I, years ago, I would never have considered running for council. I would never have considered submissions to, you know, to do some of these things. I did a submission to the Waste Management of Melbourne. I would never have considered sitting at the computer, putting in my time to do that. The impetus has come from Danny and, and we sit down... Uh, there is, it's from me as well. I mean, I've got to want to do that in my interest, but he's brought it out in me. And we sit down over dinner every night, candle at the dining table every night, yeah. and we, we speak of some of these things. And we sit down uh, for our morning and afternoon tea when, when he's not working, and we speak of a lot of these issues. And I have learnt so much from him in regards to, um, to, to politics. Uh, I wasn't a political uh, person, I didn't really quite understand even the system, and I still don't very well, but I have a far greater knowledge now and I take a lot of interest in it now, and perhaps, and certainly how it affects our lives in in those areas that are of incredible interest to us, that, you know, the, the death dying, that the waste management for Melbourne um, and the local government, up, because we're rate payers and we pay high rates here in Melton. Mm. So he's, uh, he's a wonderful man and I'm very lucky to have my partner in crime, uh, yeah, in rude,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: That's great, Karen. It's a great um, tribute to Danny. Thank you for. Well, he's not the... here. I no. said
1: I'd mention him. And <laughs> 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 I did tell the truth.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. No, you're most welcome, Adam. Thank you very much for coming. It's been lovely talking
0: to you yeah likewise thank you for inviting me into your house for um, letting us sit in this special room and for sharing all about the wonderful things that you're doing thank, thank you. you hey thanks for listening to this episode of subtle disruptors i hope you got something out of it i'd love to hear your thoughts on the show including any suggestions you have for guests you can get me on email through adam at subtle And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own Subtle Disruption. Bye for now.